Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. We are blessed, we are privileged, we are called to worship the living God in fellowship with each other. So I welcome you today. Some of you have been worshiping with this congregation for many decades. Others perhaps are brand new and we're happy to welcome you here. If you are new and would like to learn more about the church or get to know us a bit better, we'd encourage you to linger at the welcome table outside, but we're happy to have you. We're also happy to have you here with us if you are worshiping online, either today or sometime later on this week. We are all part of the family. Now, because we are family, I have to tell you that I'm actually a little bit chagrined and dismayed this morning that as the choir walked in, you started to clap for them, and they hadn't done anything yet, and you've never clapped for Jan or for me when we just walk in, but it's really good to have the choir. Friends, let us joyfully enter into worship as we are called to worship now in the responsive reading from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? Friends, let us worship God. There are many things in our lives that we would consider sin, like jealousy that we aren't applauded and others are, but there are many more. <laughs> Do you know, as a community, we're called together individually and as a people to confess our sins so that we may be assured 
of God's forgiveness. Will you please join me as together we pray the prayer of confession as written in the bulletin. Gracious God, be with us as we walk through the hills and valleys of life. Give us courage to face trials and tribulations. Forgive us when we avoid the challenges and struggles of discipleship. Grant us wisdom to proclaim your word and live your love and guide us into paths of peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear the words recorded by Isaiah that God spoke. I am, I am who blots out your sins for my own sake and I will remember your sin no more. What an incredibly gracious God we have that not only forgives us, but chooses to forget our sins. Wow. So may the peace of Christ be with you. Please go out with that peace and share with integrity like you mean it, and you will be a blessing to others. Turn to one another now and offer the peace of Christ. Peace is actually pretty good stuff, isn't it? And it's good that we're at peace with each other. Friends, let me share with you some of the news that's going on in the life of the family today and in the immediate days ahead. Next Sunday is the Super Bowl. And what I'm talking about is the now worldwide phenomenon of churches gathering together cans of soup like this one I have in my hand to help feed folks who need a little bit of extra food in their lives. If you did not bring your can of soup today, you can bring it next Sunday or you can bring a whole bag full. If you can't be here on either of those days, then on Saturday we're going to be having a drive-by drop-off event from 11 to 1 o'clock. There are going to be cheerleaders out there and all kinds of exciting things, but bring your cans of soup or bring some financial resources uh, and help us feed the hungry. Uh, this particular can, I'm sure some of you are interested, is Campbell's Chunky Pub Style Chicken Pot Pie. And I think I'm requisitioning it for further research of my own, but there we are. <laughs> On the first Sunday in March, we're going to be having a new member seminar for those of you interested in joining the church or thinking about joining the church. If you're interested in learning more about that event that happens after this second service, please uh, speak with me or with Holly Crawford or drop us an email sometime this, way, uh, this week. Um, we need your help. We need some more ushers to be serving in our worship services, both at 9 o'clock and this 1030 hour. If you'd like to sign up for a Sunday or two or maybe a couple months worth of like to know more about what that entails. Primarily, you have to be friendly to people as they come into church. That may be a challenge for some of you, but we all need to grow. Uh, hand out some bulletins, do a few other things. It's not complicated, but it is important as we gather together to have some ushers. So let us know if you'd be willing to serve in that way. There are all sorts of ways that we serve, of course, and as we all know, we really are called to turn our whole lives over to God, to let him direct 
who we are and what we shall be. And one of the signs and symbols of that in our worship is as we come to the time of offering, not only to present our financial tithes and gifts to the Lord, but symbolically to present ourselves. So some of you may be prepared this morning to come forward now during this next musical piece to bring your financial offerings or in other ways that you give. But let's all remember that we are called to give to the Lord because he has so richly given to us. God bless.
Let us join our hearts together in a time of prayer. Almighty God of mercy and grace, we praise your name, we worship you. You alone are worthy of praise. When we worship you, our God, you renew us and infuse in us new life and new mercies. As a people, we are gathered not just by place, but by the community called Christians. We give thanks for the time when Jesus called us to follow him. Use us, Lord, to bring light to those who live in darkness. Let that light of Christ begin afresh in us, our God, as we pray today for our church, the world, and for those we love, as well as prayers for ourselves. We pray for all in our church. We thank you for our pastor, Jack, as he brings your word to us today. Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey. Let us continue each day to pray for all our pastors and all our spiritual leaders, teachers, people of prayer, mission partners, musicians and administrators. Help us to support them in their calling and in their responsibilities as servant leaders. We pray for all who make up the body of Christ, sharing their skills and their gifts for the benefit of all and for your namesake. Holy Spirit, intercede in this troubled world of danger and violence. The threat of global war seems always present. We live with issues of the environment and the pandemic and it feels so unresolvable. National and global leadership seem to threaten us on all sides and we confess we are often consumed more by social media as it seeks to dominate our thinking. Protect us from ourselves who are distracted by the things of the world. Anything that would keep us from our focus on you and your plans. God of heaven and earth, we pray for those who grieve. I lift up the people of Morocco and especially the parents of the little boy who by an accident fell deep into a well and with all the work and with all the help, they could not bring him out alive. Holy Spirit of God, send those we know in Morocco who know you to be a comfort, to give to them the grace and the peace and the promise of the resurrection that comes in Christ Jesus. Comfort, Lord. In our own nation, when young people are taken so early, their lives abruptly taken. Lord God, may your justice rain down. May your mercies prevail. May we never forget a mother who weeps, a father who struggles to provide. We pray for those who face all challenges, Lord, and ask you, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Guide us as your people of generosity that we may help and support those in need. Keep us safe, all family members who may find themselves in dangerous places. And pray for all who are lonely and separated. God of comfort and peace, we pray again that you would come and do a work by your Holy Spirit. Bring healing and promise of your presence to all in need. We ask these things with the confidence of a God who listens and with the prayer of Jesus, we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, stand with me as you are able now so that together we may give our full attention to the reading and the hearing and the doing of the Word of God as we find it recorded in the Gospels according to Mark and to John. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry Jesus' cross. It was Simon of Cyrene 
the father of Alexander and Rufus. When evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph bought a linen cloth and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You and I are who we are in no small part because of other people. Think about that. Yes, there are many factors that go into the mix of making us who we are. Certainly there are genetic factors, there are the cumulative experiences that we undergo, there are things like our school, our education, things like our own choices that make differences in our lives and even the choices of other people. Lots goes into the business of making us who we are and yet perhaps the most important thing is other people. So much of what we learn, especially early in life, when the foundational principles and, and factors of our personality and character and outlook on the world are being formed, so much of that simply comes from the people who are there. Long before you can read a book, long before you can turn into the social media that Jan mentioned in her prayer, long before you are influenced by anything or anyone else, you are born into the world and your mama holds you in her arms and your daddy holds you in his arms and you begin to learn about the world and about yourself. 
As your life progresses, other people get involved, perhaps your siblings, your friends, your teachers, your coaches, your mentors, real people. And then, of course, there are unreal people involved, people who appear on a screen or in some kind of social context whose presentation of themselves has been scrubbed and sanitized and carefully altered so that you don't really know the real person. And yet it is real people who are the most important in your life. God knows this fact about us, and so God chose to come and be with us as a real person, a complete and whole person in the person of Jesus. That's really what we celebrate at Christmas, the feast of the incarnation. God came to us as a person so that we could learn in the most fundamental way that we learn, which is from other people. Wasn't that long ago that we finished celebrating the Christmas season, looking at Jesus, but also then looking at some of the other people in the story of Jesus' birth that are important. The kind shepherds, the inquisitive wise men, the conniving kings, all of those kinds of people. And yet as important as that story is about Jesus, there is a much more important story you wouldn't know it by the way our culture chooses to celebrate Christmas versus the way we celebrate Easter, but it's the Easter story and the story that makes Easter what it is, the more important story. In fact, it's the most important story. Maybe you've never actually counted the pages of scripture that are devoted to the story about the passion of Jesus. All of those things that happen as Jesus goes into Jerusalem for the last time, all of the people he confronts, all of the experiences that he both precipitates and endures, all of those things are what we call the story of the passion. And in those stories, we meet many other people who are important, who have something to say to us. In that great collision between God and a wayward world that is the story of the passion. In that great retelling of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, of Jesus being arrested and tried and convicted and tortured and executed, in all of that story, of course we focus on Jesus. But just like the story of his birth, there were others as well. Now, normally, the church begins to look at the story of the Passion with Ash Wednesday and the onset of the season of Lent. And Lent does not actually start until March 2nd, almost a month away from now. And so we are being very politically incorrect by starting to talk about the Passion now. Too bad. I'm old and I do what I think we need to do. The story of the Passion is so important, and there are so many people to meet in that story 
that we're going to start talking about them now. Real people. We're going to look at some of the people that you already know, the people with the big names like Pilate and Peter and Jesus, of course. But I want us to take a long and slow and careful and deliberate walk through the story of the passion so that we can look at every aspect, every detail, and especially to the extent possible, every person who appears there. Some of those people we hardly know. Many of those people we simply skip over as if they were unimportant in the telling, and yet their names are in scripture. Mine is not. I intend to speak with God about that later, but that's another story. Let's look at those people. Now, I'm going to make some presumptions here. I'm going to presume that the vast majority of you already know the broad outline of the story of the passion of Jesus. We started kind of in the middle and sort of at the end of the story this morning with bits and pieces. That's okay. If it's been a while since you've read the story about the passion of Jesus, turn to the last chapters of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and read the story again. Get it all in your head. And then prepare to spend some time dwelling with events and especially with people maybe that you've not thought much seriously about. I'm telling you that because that was my own experience as I started thinking about what to preach during the season of Lent. Juan was on my case every 15 minutes saying, I need to know what you're going to preach. <laughs> That's his primary job, actually. It's not waving his hand in front of the choir here. I started thinking about the passion story and all the people that are there, and I came across people like Joseph of Arimathea, not Joseph, Jesus' dad, but Joseph of Arimathea, and, and Simon of Cyrene, and then Nicodemus. And as I looked back in my notes and began to think back through my entire career of teaching and preaching about Jesus, I had to admit that not once not once have I spent any significant time with Joseph of Arimathea or Simon of Cyrene. Nicodemus, yes. I've talked about Nicodemus before. We'll talk about him more later. But how could you spend 45 years teaching and preaching and 65 years studying the Gospels and not spend time with some of the people who appear in the most important story of all time? And that's a question you need to ask for yourselves. Not many of you have taught and preached for 45 years, but if you're a serious disciple of Jesus Christ, you want to know, you need to know the people who were part of the last days and hours of his life. And so let's talk for a little while about Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, the 70 leaders of the Jewish faith. In a group more exclusive than the United States House of Representatives or the United States Senate, Joseph was a respected leader. He was a known leader. 
He was probably a wealthy man, but he also was known as a good and righteous man. We are told in the compilation of the story about him in the four gospels, we only read a couple of the stories today, but we're told that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. Secret because he might risk something if it were known that he followed Jesus. As the story unfolds, this Joseph of Arimathea did not consent. He did not go along with the judgment of the larger body of the Sanhedrin when it decided to convict Jesus of blasphemy and ask for his execution. Joseph of Arimathea stood up to those who would kill the Son of God. And then when Jesus was dead on the cross, he stood up again. And he took the risk of going to the Roman governor to ask for the right to bury Jesus. You may or may not know that in the normal practice of crucifixion in that day, when a person had died on the cross, the body would simply be left there until over the weeks of time it would disintegrate and fall. Or as often was the case, the dogs and the vultures would come and have their way. Joseph would not allow the body of Jesus to suffer that fate. And so he went to Pilate and asked for the body. That's Joseph. That's about all that we really know about Joseph of Arimathea, but it's enough. We'll talk more about that. Let's talk about Nicodemus for a moment. We know Nicodemus a whole lot better than we know Joseph of Arimathea. We know Nicodemus because earlier on in the Gospel according to John, we're told that famous story of how Nicodemus, also a member of the council, a member of the Sanhedrin, and also a Pharisee, one of those very, very serious dedicated Jews who studied the law and did their best to fulfill the law every single day, this Nicodemus decides to come to Jesus at night in secret because of the obvious problems that could occur if people knew that he was there. And he asks Jesus some questions. It's the occasion for some of the most popular, most memorable teaching of all in the Gospels, in Jesus' ministry. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus starts to talk about how it is that you have a relationship with God. For Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the leader of the Jews, a relationship with God was based on your worship and your study and your ritualistic following of the law. But Jesus starts to talk about having a relationship with God by being born again born from the Spirit of God, having a whole new life given to you initially by what God does for you. It's because of Nicodemus' questions that we have that phrase, born again at all. Now, Nicodemus and Jesus' conversation is fascinating. It's like many conversations that people have with preachers and teachers. All you have to do is ask them a couple questions and they get going. 
And as Jesus continues to teach Nicodemus about things that Nicodemus didn't even know that he needed to know about or know that were true, Jesus utters that famous, famous phrase to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know the rest of it. You've seen it on placards at football games your whole life. Well, Nicodemus clearly respected Jesus. He honestly sought to understand more about God by getting to know the teaching of this man, Jesus. And Nicodemus, too, stood up to the Sanhedrin, but he didn't succeed. And so Nicodemus, too, came to be part of the burial of Jesus. He brought myrrh and aloes, we're told, a hundred pounds, way, way more than you would need to prepare a body for burial. Nicodemus was rich. Nicodemus was well known. But he too would not allow Jesus' body to suffer the fate of others who were crucified. In a sense, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are similar characters in the story. But then there's Simon of Cyrene. I debated about whether to think about these three together, but, but Simon of Cyrene might not deserve an entire sermon by himself. Sorry, Simon. I probably have to apologize him when I meet him in heaven someday. <laughs> but then there's Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene was in what we now know as Northern Africa, part of Libya. If you've ever been to Libya, you've been close to Cyrene. We're told that Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And it may be that Alexander and Rufus are those who are mentioned later in scripture as being Christians. And maybe that's how we are to understand Simon as the father of these two guys that are known in the church as the New Testament is being written. We don't know that for sure. All we know is that Simon of Cyrene was in the right place at the right time. Or maybe we should say he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Let me tell you a little bit more about the common practice of crucifixion so you can get a sense of what Simon was asked to do. When a person was convicted of capital offense so that they might be crucified, they usually were, as Jesus was, flogged and beaten so that they were already half dead by the time they got to the cross. That was the case, of course, with Jesus. Usually a person did not carry the entire cross. I know that's the way we see it pictured so often, Jesus carrying the entire cross along what we call the Via Dolorosa. Usually it would just be the horizontal piece of the cross that you would carry on your shoulders and then you would be strapped to that and nailed to that and then that would be lifted up to the vertical bar. It was a heavy chunk of wood in any circumstance. And a person who had already been flogged and beaten oftentimes would be unable to carry that piece of the cross. They would stumble, they would fall. There was an organization called the Guild of Women in Jerusalem and they made it a practice as people were carrying that piece of the cross to their execution. They made it a practice to give to these prisoners some wine, drugged wine, 
The wine itself would help revive them so they could continue their journey. The drugs would help to numb the pain. It's possible that when Jesus fell, he was given that wine. At any rate, all we really know is that Simon of Cyrene happened to be there that day, and the Roman soldiers looked at him when Jesus fell and said, you're the guy who's going to help him carry the cross. Simon had no choice, and so he helped to carry the cross. That's all we know about Simon. But it's enough. Wouldn't it be great to know more? Have you ever thought about heaven as that place where you have all the time in the world and all the time out of the world to visit with all the folks who are already there? Now, I hope that some of you want to visit more with me once we're there. (laughs) There's a lot of folks that I want to visit with, and I would love to visit with Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and Simon of Cyrene. I'd like to know more about who they were and what they did. Did Joseph believe the reports about Jesus' resurrection? We're told he was a believer, but many people followed Jesus until he had been executed, and then some of them doubted and some of them gave up. What about Nicodemus? Did Nicodemus finally have his questions answered? Did he finally get it inside of his soul, inside of his head, what Jesus meant when he said you had to be born from above, born of the Spirit? And what about Simon of Cyrene? Did he hang around and watch Jesus being lifted up on the cross and the sword stuck into his side? Did he hang around and wait till Jesus died? We don't know. I've told you everything that we know. We simply don't know. And so that comes to you and me. We disciples of Jesus have just a couple of options when it comes to deciding what we do about these characters in the most important story ever told. One option is simply to learn their history and say, oh, how interesting. Let's go on. That's what a lot of people do. They learn what the Bible says. They learn about the people of the Bible and ask some questions and then go on. But friends, that's not an option for us. Let me say that as clearly as I possibly can. We don't like to hear people say things quite so bluntly these days, but it's not an option. You can't make your own decision about what's good to do with these characters in the scriptures. The only reasonable thing, the only responsible thing, the only Christian thing to do with these characters in the scriptures is to spend some more time with them and then to think about what their story says to our story. You will be spiritually impoverished. You will be spiritually not quite all that you could be if you hear about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and Simon of Cyrene and simply go on. 
Right now, I would say that you probably know more than you used to. I know more than I used to, and I hope you do too. But it's not just about knowing about them. It's about deciding what to do about them. If indeed we learn the most important lessons from other people, what lessons are we going to learn from these three people who had the privilege of being with Jesus in his lifetime, who had the privilege, I would call it, that Simon had of helping Jesus to carry his cross, who had the privilege of taking Jesus' mortal remains and treating them with respect and honor as we do for each other even now. I have some questions to ask. They are questions that I had to ask for myself and decide if they were reasonable questions, decide if they were important questions, and I have decided they are both reasonable and important questions, and you need to have those questions as well. Are you willing to risk your status in society, as did Joseph and Nicodemus? Are you willing to risk your reputation and your standing as a VIP, your standing as a respected person in the community, your standing as a leader? Are you willing to risk all of that for the sake of following Jesus? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus did that. Are you willing to risk your wealth, to spend your money, to use your power for the sake of following Jesus? Joseph and Nicodemus did that. Are you willing to stand against the prevailing opinion and go against the tide of thought and feeling are you willing to stand up to other people who would say, we need to disregard Jesus, we need to dismiss Jesus, we even need to kill Jesus? Are you willing to stand up against that and give to Jesus the benefit of the doubt and listen and then do for Jesus what he needs to have done? Joseph and Nicodemus did that. Are you willing, are you willing to admit that you have something more to learn about God and true religion? Nicodemus did that when he came to Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus did that as they stood up and said to the Sanhedrin, this guy might be who he says he is. Let's not be so hasty to pass judgment. Are you willing to do something not just believe something, not just say, yeah, I agree, but are you willing to do something as the result of your relationship with Jesus? Joseph and Nicodemus did that. What about poor Simon of Cyrene? Simon of Cyrene teaches me, and I think can teach you, that sometimes God presents us with opportunities that we simply did not see coming. 
that we would not have asked for had we chosen, that are beyond our wildest dreams or fears, sometimes God presents us with something to do for him and for the sake of his kingdom. Now, Simon did not have an option. When a cohort of Roman soldiers says, you will carry this cross, you carry the cross. You and I have an option, though, to say to God, no, I'm not going to do what you have laid before me. But will we do what God lays before us, even those surprising things, those difficult things, those things that just might be God's way of leading you into more blessedness and peace and effectiveness for the kingdom than you've ever dreamed? Well, there you have it. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, and Simon of Cyrene. I hope that you are learning from their stories and how they relate to the biggest story and how they are and should be and can be and will be, if you'll let it, part of your story. A story that's not just in the pages of the Bible, but a story that is being lived out today in our own lives. You know, God thought it was so important that we be with other people that when he came to us as Jesus, one of the two things he left for us always to do was to gather together with other people. To gather together at a place where we always gather, around a dinner table. To meet with Jesus and to meet with all the other people who want to know Jesus. That's what this table is. Yes, it's a sacrament, and yes, there's a lot going on here, but part of what's going on here is other people gathering around the table so we can spend some time with each other to converse, to encourage, to challenge, to correct, to hug, to love, to push out into the world to go do more of Jesus' stuff. That's what this table is about. And so ministering in Jesus' name, I invite you now to come to this table. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and having blessed it, he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the sign of the covenant, the seal of my love for you. This cup is my blood poured out for the salvation of all. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of Jesus until he comes again. Let us partake together. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you love us so much that you welcome us to your table to spend time with you. 
We thank you that you love us so much that you call us to be with each other around your table, to learn not only from Jesus, but to all those who followed him and who follow him still. Bless and nourish us then with the deep truths, with the amazing power, with the indescribable love that we meet here at this table in your son, and then nourish us and strengthen us to continue to do his work in the world. We pray in his name. Amen. Here's your homework. Spend some more time this week thinking about Joe or Nick or Simon and asking God to reveal to you the ways in which your life is similar to their lives and asking God to teach you through what they experienced and what they did to teach you about what you can do and then ask God to reveal to you some ways in which other people are learning something about you and from you when it comes to the business of following Jesus. It may be that 2,000 years from now, somebody will write a history of you. What are they going to put in it? Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Amen.